Um, look, she was, she was. We thought we were very blessed when she was born, having a daughter after a son, um, and she was a bright, bubbly little thing. She was chatter. She would talk the leg off a nine pot. She just, you know, chatted all the time. She was always a bright, happy girl. But then, when I look back, I can see there was a spot where she appeared to be. Oh, I wouldn't say unhappy, but there was something not quite right. This is Kay, and she's speaking about her late daughter, who we won't be naming. Kay is warm, kind, and welcoming. When you speak with her, you can't even begin to imagine what she's endured. In 2015, Kay lost her only daughter to a terminal illness. During her final weeks of life, Kay's daughter decided to report to police the sexual abuse she suffered as a child at the hands of her uncle. It was the last thing left on her bucket list. Like many before her, Kay's daughter waited years to report the abuse to police. The reporting of sexual crime has increased significantly in Victoria over the last six years, but there is still a long way to go in shifting the way we think about this type of crime. This is Unspeakable, a podcast produced by Victoria Police, which will offer a rare glimpse into real-life investigations and the people behind them. Over the next six episodes, we'll hear from investigators, experts and victims, bringing their stories out from the shadows and into the light of reality. Historically, victims have tended to suffer in silence and isolation. While the acts committed by perpetrators of sexual violence may seem unspeakable, it's time to start talking about it. Victims of sexual crime are often referred to as victim survivors. You'll hear this term used throughout the podcast. This topic can be confronting to talk about and for some people difficult to listen to. In managing your well-being, we suggest only listening to unspeakable with people you feel comfortable with and giving yourself permission to pause and start again later if you need to. As further assistance, we'll provide some support options at the end of each episode. Victoria Police's sexual offences and child abuse investigation teams, known as SOCKETS, are a specialised group of investigators who have been trained to work with victims and offenders. Every day, these detectives are at the coalface of investigations into sexual crimes, most of which are committed against women or children by a man who is a family member or someone they know in their own home. These crimes have a profound, long-lasting impact on victims and their families, but they are commonly misunderstood by the community. Mate, what a crock. She's his girlfriend. She can't go crying right now. But did you see what she was wearing? She's such an attention seeker. Come on, she had no injuries. I would have fought back hard if I was being sexually assaulted. Why wouldn't those kids who were abused tell the police? I know my son would tell me. None of these attitudes are supported by evidence. In this episode, we'll be exploring what's involved in reporting sexual offences to police. Complex, intimate and traumatic, reporting can be one of the most difficult things a victim of sexual abuse will face. Sometimes telling someone they are close to is the first step. After coming home from a trip overseas at 19, Kay's daughter decided it was time to face what she'd always dreaded. She told her mother what had happened to her as a child, a phone call Kay will never forget. She'd been overseas and she came back 
and her, she rang me one night, it was a Saturday night, and told me about it. And she said, um, oh, Mum, you're not going to like what I've got to tell you. And as soon as she said it, I believed her. And uh, she, I said to her, well, you know, what do you want? What are we going to do about it? What do you want me to do about it? She said, I don't want to do anything at the moment. She said, I want you to know about it, but I don't want to know anything about it. And I asked her why. And she said, because I don't want Granny to know. That's my mum. Sadly, even a mother's unconditional love and support wasn't enough for her daughter to feel like she could take the next step. Reporting abuse to police is never as simple to a victim as it may seem to someone else. How can I help you? I'd like to report. It would take many more years, the arrival of nieces and nephews and a terminal illness, for Kay's daughter to eventually report to police. Carolyn Worth is the manager at Melbourne's Southeastern Centre Against Sexual Assault, also known as SACASA. With more than 40 years' experience with CASA, the family courts, residential care and the Women's Liberation Halfway House, she has dedicated her career to improving the lives of others. In 15 centres across Victoria, CASA's counsellors work to ensure that women, children and men who've been sexually offended against are supported and cared for. Carolyn tells us more. It's a 24-hour service for victims of sexual assault and family violence and that we provide people with a quick response if they've had a sexual assault within the past week and we will come in any time of the day or night to see them. And what we would provide in that case is a discussion about what it is they want to do. Do they want to talk to the police? Do they want a forensic medical? Do they just want a medical not to talk to the police? Or maybe they just want to talk to us. In addition to counselling support, CASA centres also run other programs like art therapy. Carolyn says exploring emotions through art works well for people who feel like they're not making progress by talking things through. So the other groups we do are body awareness, which is a gym group, and we have a reflexology group because people with very long histories of childhood abuse really have a lot of difficulties with touch and intimacy, difficulties obviously with getting employment, difficulties with sort of talking about emotions. So all those groups are meant to assist them to do that. Regardless of the time frame since the offending, nor whether it involves a one-off or repeated abuse, reaching out for support is never easy. Carolyn explains there are many reasons people reach out to CASA for support. Probably about 10% of the people we see who their lives have been really very difficult. They were abused as a kid, they didn't do well at school, they left home fairly early, they're isolated, they've had violent boyfriends in their teens, they've married somebody who hasn't necessarily been a particularly good partner for them and they've got two or three children and they suddenly decide that it's just not okay, their life isn't okay. They're not comfortable doing things, they're not comfortable you know, going out, they feel very isolated, they possibly have acrophobia, but they just want to change things. So they will come in and they're much longer term because they're working on a whole lifetime. They can be working on 20 years, 30 years of things. So we have a group of women who often in their 50s who will come and want to go through all that and they often have the space because their children have grown and have left home and they're not running around after kids and doing all the other things and they suddenly think really this is time for me to sort this out I've got through everything else but I really don't live happily I need to get different meaning into my life 
Some people come with a specific issue. It could be that they've found they're not sleeping or they're not letting their children, who are the same age as they were when they were sexually assaulted, go on sleepovers and that's causing tension at home. For others, leaving a relationship in which they were raped might have provided them with the safety and freedom to finally talk about it. Whether it's two hours, days, years or decades, it's clear there is no norm when it comes to reporting sexual offences. Every person is unique. National and international research shows that incidents of rape, sexual offences and child abuse are significantly under-reported, under-prosecuted and under-convicted. Feelings of guilt or self-blame or not wanting to upset others are just a few of the reasons a victim may not report. Overwhelmingly though, it is the debilitating fear of not being believed. It can take a child, for example, many years to even realise that they have been offended against. Sadly, the same can be said for women who are raped in abusive relationships. Carolyn says in many cases, victims speak with counsellors long before they report abuse to police. They start to think about what happened to them and there's been a discussion with them about, well, this is an option you have and they haven't seen it as an option. So it's surprising the number of reasons people don't, you know, don't come and tell the police earlier. But when they are ready, CASA centres help connect people directly with their local police socket. Another option to help people in the reporting process is a series of specialised centres across Victoria where support services such as counselling, forensic medical officers and police are co-located to provide a more collaborative, supportive service to victims of sexual offences and child abuse. These are known as multidisciplinary centres. We'll learn more about these in a later episode of Unspeakable. After her daughter's disclosure of abuse, Kay was desperate to have the matter reported to police. So I got on the phone and I rang the Baronia police and the, um, they said to me, look, there's nothing we can do. And in those days, there was really no support for anybody. There was nowhere to go. And I've never felt so alone in my whole life. Even I went through a marriage breakup, but this was just, it was just awful. Just, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. But Kay found there was little she could do. Her daughter was adamant that she didn't want to report the abuse to police. And so, like many other distraught parents, family members and friends of victims, Kay had to respect that her daughter needed to be in control of her own choices. It, it sat very heavy on my shoulders, I can tell you. It was really, um, at times I just think, oh, I just didn't know what to do. But because she didn't want to do anything about it, couldn't do anything about it. The first interim report from the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse found that victim survivors took an average of 22 years to disclose the abuse to someone and even longer to report that abuse to police. If you start with some teenagers, they really just think that's how the world is. That's Carolyn again. They just accept that's how their world has been. They'll often report and we find they come to see us when they're a little bit old and they've got a steady boyfriend and they've actually talked about what happened in their family and it's often the first time they've told anyone. And if he's come from a family where these things are just not acceptable, he will start to say to her, that's not okay, you should go and tell the police about this. And they'll do that because, you know, they're in a relationship they feel really comfortable with, they trust that person's views, and they'll come and talk about, this was happening to me when I was 14 and now, you know, I'm 20. 
Carolyn's oldest client to date was a woman who had told no one about a vicious rape by a stranger when she was just seven years old. Then at 87, the woman fell and broke her hip. She said that that experience made her feel as helpless as she had in that moment when she was seven and that the trauma came flooding back as if it had happened yesterday. I went and saw her at home because obviously she wasn't very mobile and she wanted to talk to somebody. And at some stage I said, what would have made you not tell anyone when you were seven? And she said, we didn't have the words for it back then, dear. And I thought that's probably true. 80 odd years ago, nobody talked about these things. So she hadn't told anybody because back when she was very young, she had not got the words for it. We have someone who, he spoke to me for various reasons the other day. And he said in 1974, when I told my mother what happened and somebody else, he said they took no notice of me. So he said, I didn't do anything till the Royal Commission started and then I told them. Then they said, you should go and talk to somebody about this. So he'd done nothing until what we're 40 years later. Last year, there were close to 13,000 reports of sexual offences made to police in Victoria. That's about 4,000 more than were reported in 2010. Police don't think that's because more sexual crime is occurring, but rather an increased confidence in the community to come forward to report the abuse and know that they'll be believed. The reports of sexual assault have come to Victoria Police in all manner of ways. This is Detective Senior Sergeant Brett Meadows. He worked as a socket investigator in Melbourne's North for 13 years and before that was with a crime investigation unit. Brett has investigated hundreds of cases during his time as a socket detective. Some people who have held on for many, many years will go to counselling first of all and with their counsellors they'll determine when it's, they're well enough to report and they'll normally be put in touch with a socket directly. Recent, we call recent sexual assault sort of within the last 72 hours, they'll normally either call triple zero or a local police station or they may even turn up at a police station. You've also got some that may be physically hurt as well, which call an ambulance first, they end up at a hospital and we're notified and some that just come in off the street, which is more your historical type matters, which, yeah, they can be, I can think of 60 years ago type offending, anywhere from 1 to 2 to 10 to 20 to 50 to 60 years, and they'll normally walk into a police station. I want to report that I was sexually abused by, usually a relative or similar, and they'll notify a socket and we'll get involved. And So they come to us in all manner of ways, and some as recent as ours right through to... 50, 60 years ago. Investigators strongly recommend that someone who's been recently sexually offended against consider the option of a forensic medical examination to help in gathering evidence. There's no denying that a forensic medical examination can be invasive and for victims who've recently been assaulted it can be daunting. That's why it's important for people to understand that forensic medicals are handled by professional examiners who will accompany a person through the process with humility, diligence and care. So what happens when forensic evidence isn't available? Investigators continue as usual. They gather other evidence, such as an interview with the accused, or they talk to potential witnesses to events before or after an alleged offence took place and gain other information through a variety of police investigative methods. Research consistently shows that the majority of people who experienced sexual abuse during childhood did not disclose until adulthood.
For those people who do report the abuse to police later in life, a common concern is whether or not they'll be believed. Will it be one person's word against another? Victoria Police's answer is there are always investigative options. Don't want to put our investigative sort of tools out there. But look, a lot of it comes down to, and, and generally they're family or close friends of the family that have had access to them when they were children over a period of time. You can still talk to the family, talk about the relationship that that offender and victim had, um, the access they may have had to the child. So if it's a case of the child was left to be babysat by the neighbour or, or by an uncle or a grandfather or something, we can corroborate that part of it as far as the actual offending goes. Um, it's more difficult. Um, you do sometimes, quite often, uh, get multiple victims. That assists, that helps corroborate each other, especially if they are spoken to separately, provide statements separately, and they haven't you know, had a chance to talk together about what happened to them. You, know, you get relatives that are spread all over the state, the country, even overseas. There are more than 400 socket investigators across Victoria. They are highly trained and passionate about their jobs. Victim survivors who come forward to police can be assured they'll be listened to with empathy. Even if a victim does not want to proceed with an investigation, there are important reasons for reporting a sexual offence. The information provided to police may help to enhance that person's safety or the safety of others. The main thing I try and put towards a victim is just making sure they know they're believed. That usually seems to be the first step. A lot of these people that report these things don't think anyone's going to believe them. And once you take that statement and you talk to them and you build the rapport and you tell them, I believe you, sometimes you just see it in their eyes. They just have this weight off their shoulders and they go, do you really? And you go, yeah, why wouldn't I? Of course you're telling them, I totally believe you. And at that point they actually feel that they've gone far enough sometimes. They just want to be believed. This person has come forward because it happened, not because they're out to get back at someone. The welfare of the victim is at the centre of every socket investigation. They've sat on that, what happened to them, for most of their life. Whether it be 20, 50 years, doesn't make it, it it's a long time. Something's triggered them to eventually say, I'm going to report it. To then walk into a police station must be, as I can't imagine how tough it is. There's the first part. So when they eventually walk in and say, this is what I want to report, all the emotion just flows out. And the first thing as an investigator I want to do is I need to get the best evidence I can. And I'm not going to get that at that time. This person's, for the first time ever, just blurted out all this stuff. So we link them in straight away with counselling and we'll meet them a number of times to build a bit of rapport and get a bit of an understanding of what's happened. But we want them in the best place so that they can provide everything. And sometimes when we start to take that statement, they're just throwing everything out on the table and they go away and they suddenly realise there's a lot more that they didn't tell us. And we know that. And it may take a number of coming back, fixing up the statement, taking another statement, then taking another one and another one. And sometimes we'll read through a statement and go, there's some extra stuff here I think I can cover. We get them back in again. And it's not so much about the offending, but it might be what schools they went to, who their friends were. Because, as I said before, they're the people that can corroborate a lot of these stories. And, yeah, some of, the, and some of these statements alone can take days because some of these people were abused for many, many years. Um, and to get the best possible evidence to put before a court, you don't hurry it. You, you take your time. 
and you want that person to feel comfortable and over that journey that's why sockets it's a big part of what we do now we don't take the statement pass it off to someone else we keep it so that person you meet on day one should be the same person you travel the journey with right through if it gets all the way to a trial imagine divulging some of the most intimate and painful details of your life to a complete stranger victoria police's priority is to provide victims with a safe supportive environment for them to share their story it's not easy I think I'd be kidding myself and anyone listening to this to say that it's an easy process. It's, it can't be easy because you do have to tell that police officer every little detail. And when, we, when I say every little detail, we need to know what went where, what was said at that time, how you felt at that time, all the way through what took place. And They use an example in our training, turn to the person beside you and tell them about your last sexual experience. And that's something that you actually did consensually and to turn to a stranger and tell them is tough and then they say so imagine how a victim feels when they walk into a police station to tell a police officer about that sexual experience which they didn't want to take part in so there's nothing easy about the process but the training that socket members get and this is why we get specialist training is to make it easier um, we have the skills and the, the methods to use to make them feel at ease to try and elicit all the stuff we need and to hopefully help them along that journey, even if we don't make it to court, um, to be able to sit with them and take the statement and talk to them and, and talk through the process of how it all works, at least then uh, they get something out of it as well. They have told their story. In episode two of Unspeakable, we'll take a more in-depth look at the Victoria Police Socket Training Course and the approach detectives take to investigating sexual crime. The journey, and I keep calling it the journey for want of saying something else I don't know. This is Kay again. The journey was made so much easier because of these two beautiful girls. She's talking about socket investigators, Detective Senior Constable Christine Robinson and Detective Leading Senior Constable Amber Coots. The, the compassion that they showed towards my daughter and myself was, and the whole family, it was outstanding, it was just unbelievable. It was just, the whole thing was made so much easier and it was so, it was done so quickly. When Kay's daughter finally decided to report, she had only a matter of weeks to live. Detective Senior Constable Robinson, who we'll refer to as Chris, was there the day the case came through. I was on response that day and uh, I was allocated the task and sorry, I called the, the victim and I arranged to, within the, the next hour, attend at her address. I had an indication of what had happened and what needed to be reported and we determined that the evidence that she had needed to be captured then and there um, because she was so terminally ill. So I took the video camera out with me to her house and set it up, um, explained to her her options and she gave me some indication on, on her illness and that she didn't have much time left and that her reporting this was on her bucket list. It had affected her for the last 42 years of her life and that she needed to report it before she passed away. Chris immediately started an investigation. It was very important to her and then in turn was very important to me that I got her a result before she passed away. 
So I sat down that afternoon and typed out a statement based on the information she'd provided to me on the video. Very shortly after she was admitted to hospital, one of the other members here took the statement and the video camera to hospital and set up the video camera again and the victim read out her statement on video because we knew that if this did go to a trial uh, and go to court, she wasn't going to be around for that. From the moment the statement was taken, a weight was lifted for the victim and her family. Her doing that um, was such a relief. She felt that finally it was just a weight off her shoulders. She'd, she'd told her story. She had put it in someone else's hands to investigate. From that point, uh, the investigation moved very, very fast. The thing just seemed to happen so quickly. It was like our heads were spinning. It was just so quickly, but um, the two girls kept us informed at every step of the way. There was nothing, um, everything was discussed with us. They just made the journey so much better. 42 years after the abuse against Kay's daughter, Chris was able to gather sufficient evidence to make an arrest. I attended out um, at a, an address in the western suburbs within one or two days that I attended out there and arrested the offender and interviewed him. It was quite a lengthy interview and I obtained admissions from him about what had happened. I charged him on that day and summoned him to court within, I think it was within a week, um, which is a very, very um, short time frame. Normally we give ourselves a month or two. Knowing the case wasn't going to be concluded before the victim passed away, Chris obtained a victim impact statement. This is normally done once an offender has been convicted and is to be sentenced, but this case was anything but normal. Unfortunately, the matter was adjourned and Kay's daughter passed away before it returned to court. She had a, a, an amazing, beautiful funeral, um, was attended by over 500 people. It was so emotional. Was, her mum stood up at the very start of the funeral and was speaking about some items that she wanted to tick off her bucket list before she passed away. And then she mentioned mine and Amber's name and said a big thank you for helping her um, tick off the biggest tick of her bucket list. That's when it really impacted me that this is the thing that she needed to get done before she passed away and I was just so thankful that I was able to help her do that. The offender pled guilty at court. Due to the age of the offences, remember it had been more than 40 years, old legislation was used. He received a sentence of five month imprisonment which was suspended and was placed on the sex offenders registry. She would have been blown away. I was hoping for a good result. She said, it's fine, Mum, I can die now, knowing that he's going to go on the sex registers list. And I thought, I hope so. But I I was pretty confident that we would, but she was sure that we were, you know, we we're going to get the outcome that we did. She just wants to make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else and wants him to be a registered sex offender. So to be able to have that um, happen was excellent and her mum and about five other family members were in court for the hearing the the result and for the sentencing and got to hear um, her, her victim impact statement read out to the magistrate 
It's common in socket investigations that a natural rapport develops between an investigator and victim. That unique relationship was formed between Kay and Chris. It does happen that you just you just click with one of your victims and you know that you'll just stay in contact with them because you've had such a big impact on their life and I think in a way we're still a, a little link. Yeah, and it's it's lovely. It's a, it's a lovely relationship. The support that we had, all of us, and um, me since, um, they've kept contact with me to see how I'm going and and that's been really great for, for me too. Very supportive. Whether it takes four months, four years or four decades, Kay wants people to know that they can report sexual offences to police any time. It's never too late. That is the main thing. It is never too late, even 40 years later. It wasn't too late. You know, she did say, uh, Mum, I hope that I'll be remembered for something when I go. She did, her biggest fear was she was going to be forgotten. You'll never be forgotten. I mean, she had too many friends. But she would be absolutely over the moon to think that she was helping out here and that hopefully um, it will help with the further investigations, the way the police do it, um, and that some other child will have the courage to come forward. Unspeakable is brought to you by Victoria Police. If you've been a victim of a sexual offence, please call triple zero or your local police station. For people who would like to speak directly with a socket investigator, we recommend calling your local police station. They'll be able to connect you with a local detective who is specially trained to assist and support you. For additional support, CASA's confidential 24-hour sexual assault crisis line can be reached on 1800 806 292.